Hey founders, welcome to the No Nerds No Problem podcast. This week we have on Leia Marult Sonneshine, founder and CEO at Journey. We're going to talk about how she built her MVP using off-the-shelf, no-code components, as well as the step-by-step process she used to validate her offer with real customers. This was a great episode. It's a wonderful example of the process all non-technical founders should use. I had a blast and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to No Nerds, No Problem. Today, we have a very special guest, Leah. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, Leah and I actually started talking uh, as a prospective client relationship, and um, her story was so cool, and what she showed me was so awesome. I was like, all right, we'll talk about doing something together later. Let's get you on the show. Let's share your story. And I just told her this, but when I'm having calls with other prospective clients, I keep referencing what Leah told me about Journey. So I'm super excited to have you on the show. Again, welcome. Uh, the other thing too is we've been trying to do this for a few weeks. So I'm actually worried that now that we're doing it, the world's going to end. <laughs> so if the world starts ending, that's our fault. We did that by actually oh, finally getting this together. So uh, Leah, welcome again. Uh, tell me a little bit about you, first of all, and then let's talk about Journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start off say, hi, my name is Leia. Um, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Journey, and Journey is a personal career coach that lives on Slack. Um, I am originally from Slovenia. Um, I spent most of my adult life in the U.S. I went to college to Grinnell in Iowa, and then I spent some of my uh, first working years in New York working for a company called Venture Runway first as an iOS engineer, and then moved to product. And then I thought I wanted to be a little bit closer to home, so I moved to London to do a master's in a funky course called Innovation Design Engineering, where I got this uh, patent for a mouth wearable that you actuate with your tongue. Um, <laughs> and yeah, now I decided to go the startup route since I've worked mostly at startups all my life. I was like, let's Let's see if we can we can get something done. Um, and it was very much based in my own personal experience with careers. I had been kind of mentoring people for interviewing and how to manage relationships. Um, so I, I was doing a lot of stuff like helping peers and other people um, with their careers already. But I was having my own personal struggles as well. And I think that that's often the case where you know, you can give a lot of good advice to people, but it's hard for you to follow it. Um, and yeah, when I was transitioning um, from an iOS engineer to a product manager, I didn't really have the right support from my company. So I ended up feeling a lot of anxiety, imposter syndrome, uh, burnout, <laughs> lots of self-inflicted stuff. Um, and yeah, I kind of lost confidence in my own abilities and to perform. So I, after a while, I decided to get a career coach, um, spent a couple of months searching for one online um, because it's, it's a very fragmented uh, business and it's really hard to find yeah. like who's quality and having lots of like intro calls and things like that. But ultimately, I found this awesome lady called Lindsay. Um, she's from San Francisco and we spent three months together doing a coaching program. Um, and yeah, by the end, I felt very clear on what I wanted to do, confident in my own abilities and kind of ready to make decisions that felt right for me. And I thought it was so powerful that, you know, more people should basically have access to it, but it cost me $4,000. So that's not really a price most people can afford. So 
after that experience, I was like, you know, how can we make this more affordable for more people? And one thing that Lindsay, my coach, said that stuck with me was, I wish I could clone myself <laughs> um, because I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm a human. I only have 24 hours in a day. I can't do much more than I'm already doing. Um, and it's like, fair enough. So how can we package what you're doing and even enhance it by knowing what other great coaches are doing and try to turn it into technology to help people? Yeah. Really cool. I love it. I love uh, anything that comes from a personal need first, right? Like you, you feel this pain. And then uh, I love too that you combined um, your personal experience as a customer, right? And then went and talked to someone who's kind of on the other side of the domain expertise, right? Like the your coach that you had experience with also got feedback there. Um, yeah. How did you take that feedback and what, what was the initial step from there to, to actually getting started? Like, what was the first thing you did uh, at, on Journey? <laughs> yeah, so at that point, there was no Journey. Uh, I didn't know what it was going to be called or anything like that. It was just an idea of like, okay, how can we get the feeling or like the, the state that I got to at the end to more people? Um, so as a product manager... Uh, my first inclination was like, all right, so I'm feeling this. I know that people in my network are kind of feeling this, uh, especially at startups where there's a lot of confusion about career paths and how to grow and managers not having time, etc. Um, but I wanted to see, you know, does this problem happen in a broader scale that's not just in my network? So I spent about a month like putting together surveys and posting them on different professional groups on Slack, on Facebook, getting people to share it on LinkedIn, um, just like anything basically that could get me some more data um, outside of my personal network. Um, so I had this one survey that was super long. It would take someone 30 minutes to complete it. Um, and I had 300 people complete that survey, which was incredible because People don't do that. Like, if the survey is more than five minutes, no. people don't complete it. But what I saw from that survey was really that people were not happy. People were not happy, not feeling fulfilled with their careers or the support they were getting from their companies or their managers. And even if they were managers themselves, you could see there was this, like, big mismatch in what managers thought that they needed to do and what their direct reports wanted them to do. Um so from that, it became very clear that this is a way more <laughs> global problem than just my network, and especially, I think, on the back of, you know, the pandemic and the global resignation. It's very clear that there is a need for some support that helps people navigate careers, uh, especially because careers are changing, you know, like the general like career ladder that our parents were used to, they don't really exist yet. <laughs> And I read the statistic that in 2030, 85% of the careers that will exist then haven't even been invented yet. And that's just right. eight years <laughs> from now. But that's wild. And so how are we going to navigate that path? And how will someone else help us? Like really, the ownership on how to navigate those careers should be on the individual. Um, yeah. So yeah, spend a month like kind of doing these surveys and stuff. And then from those surveys, I started reaching out to people and doing tons of interviews. So I've interviewed like over 50 people during that time. 
It was kind of about their career in general, what went well, what didn't go well. Top three things they would, you know, go back to their um, 20-year-old self to tell them. And, like, the thing that kept on um, kept on coming up from especially more senior people was, like, you know, I did coaching or I did this thing where I changed my mindset from a fixed one to a growth one. And I, mm-hmm. the only thing I really wish was that I could get there earlier. Um, right. As well as with younger people, um, what just came up is that, you know, you just don't know what you don't know. And they're feeling confused. Mm-hmm. And, like, their goals are to make an impact, like these big, broad goals, <laughs> but right. not like, not more tangible things that they can actually achieve. So that's where the tension comes through. So what coaching helped me do a lot is really like pick at those goals and pick and say like, okay, what does that mean for me? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What would that be in a year's time or something like that? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how things started. Um, then I ended up entering this accelerator program here in the UK called Antler, which was marketed as um, a pre-idea uh, accelerator. So the idea is you go there and you're supposed to find a co-founder there. So I went mm-hmm. there with this like broad idea. They really encourage you not to not to be too stuck on the idea, but to be more stuck on like you know the team dynamics of a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I partnered up with some people in the similar area and we explored it from a lot of different ways because this this like problem i guess of clarity confidence etc navigating your career there are a lot of different points in your life where it could be attacked so the first the first one uh was let's do it for let's think about how that would look like if you know we interjected at high school because we also knew that at college, people were freaking out when they were graduating and saying, like, I don't know what to do. What job do I go into? Where do I apply? Blah, blah, blah. So, like, at that point, they're feeling the frustration of how do I get a job? What do I actually want? Uh, so we're like, well, you know, if we introduce lots of different careers and pe- to people at high school, they'll be able to pick better majors and maybe better careers longer term. Um, we explored that for a little while. But honestly, <laughs> what ends up happening is that the people who care about that in high school are parents, not the kids. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. <laughs> it makes it very hard to convince a kid to want to think about their career at that point mm-hmm. in time. So after some exploration interviewing and, you know, did some experiments with a few high schools here in the UK, like, all right, this is not working out. Um, then the next one was more around um, peer-to-peer mentoring. Like, how can you leverage people who have gone through like a similar career path that you might want to go into and coach you on that way? Um, and that ultimately also didn't work out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then I did a couple of other experiments where I was thinking about like maybe let's not go so globally, like all careers and all people. Uh, but let's try to focus on one path. So uh, because I was product manager and had a network in that, I was like, let's try to do some cohorts with product managers. And I actually put together a couple of groups of five people. I got someone to facilitate the group. So we went through this like problem-solving framework uh, for PMs who are like three years into their career or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was it was actually pretty good. And all the people really enjoyed it. They said that they learned a lot about, like a lot from it. Um, I think especially because in product, 
you have this um, thing where every company does product differently. So being yes. able to go outside <laughs> of your bubble to learn like processes and playbooks from someone else is super impactful. It's like, oh, I haven't thought about doing it this way. Um, so it was really useful for everyone, but no one wanted to pay. <laughs> so um, we got to that problem. I was like, well, you right. know, this was fun, um, but it would be a lot to and I don't see like the potential for for moving this forward really um and I couldn't see like really how to scale that very mm -hmm. very easily and then you already had companies like Beyond Deck and Reforge and things like that that are creating these like crazy like community-based programs and have a ton of backing in terms of funding and huge teams and I was like all right maybe maybe not now <laughs> So I went back to the drawing board of just coaching <laughs> and back to the original idea, like, how can we make coaching a scalable thing? And mm -hmm. I had spent a lot of time in ed tech uh, myself. So I had written a lot of tutorials and video courses for a company called Ray Vanderlick. Um, they're like the number one site for oh, yeah. mobile tutorials. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I've used a bunch when I was younger. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I've been with them for about five years, six years now, I think. So, um, funny, yeah. Doing lots of different things from books, videos, tutorials, and... Yeah, um, for, the, for those that, since there's a lot of non-technical people listening, Ray, that Ray's site is uh, kind of like one of the go-to tutorials for iOS development, and now, yeah. now mobile generally, but I think it was iOS to start, and, and yeah, I mean, he was even way back, like, was one of the first, I think, that was yep. just so dedicated on talking about that. So that's, that's funny. Definitely. I definitely consumed some of your content probably at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, like, even if, if you Google anything, like, iOS tutorial, like, that's going to come up as, like, one of the first Google <laughs> results. Yeah, yeah, always, always. Yeah, so, yeah, I had a lot of knowledge of how to, like, structure educational content, and I was like, how could we combine like the coaching experience I went through with some of like the ed tech principles of teaching mm -hmm. people and reiterating knowledge and things like that? Um, ended up reading a ton of books on coaching. Um, took the program that kind of Lindsay and I went through and basically started putting together a course essentially, uh, to take people who had a similar experience that I had and then added a bunch of stuff in. Um, to make it more interactive. And the one thing that was really important to me was coaching was very painful. Um, mm -hmm. And what I mean is like doing self-reflection and going deep into yourself, um, it takes a lot of energy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I would like spend a whole day or two days on that, um, like those exercises. And I was like, uh, if I wasn't paying $4,000 for this, I probably would quit. So my goal is really to make it like bite-sized and yeah, yeah. able to like to break it down into like simple steps, um, but that would still get to a good level of self-reflection over a longer period of time to kind of also give you more time to do that self-reflection and ruminate on the different ideas that you're discussing. Um, so yeah, I put together this program and then naturally I because of my mobile app experience, I went into, it's going to be an app. And I went straight into <laughs> designing the app um, and had this beautiful app and prototyped it, had a, like, you know, a demo video of it that was getting into our deck. And people were like, oh, that looks so cool. And then 
I was ready to start building it. Um, <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know, probably better than start building this because it's going to take a while. You should test the content. <laughs> you should test the content of what you're actually, what you wrote here in this course, essentially. So how can you do that in the fastest way, uh, the cheapest way? And so I thought, you know, let's try to use Slack um, because <laughs> Slack is where people work. So it should be right. easy to get them to access. It would be easy for me to access these users. And if they need any help, they could ask me immediately. Um, and so the idea was born like, let's test the content out on Slack first, and then we'll move to mobile later once we know that the content is good and we've iterated on it. Um, and, you know, I reached out to a whole bunch of the people that I interviewed or surveyed and about 30 or 40 of them replied. So yeah, reached out to about 40 people, uh, decided cool. to take on 10, um, who were kind of in the target demographic. So 10 years into their career, um, and kind of struggling with their careers, um, at the time and working at smaller companies where there was a lot of confusion. So, yeah. Um, and then I didn't, you know, I looked into how to build a Slack bot. It seemed tricky and it would take a lot of time. <laughs> so instead of building a Slack bot, I decided, you know what? I'll just be the bot. <laughs> uh, because the point was to test the content, not, you know, the tech. Uh, and so what that meant is that I scheduled 15 minute invites with all of these people at a certain time at which time the bot would message them, the bot, me. <laughs> uh, and I would just message them these like pre-scripted things that I put together for the course uh, and see if they would reply. And doing so, I made a terrible mistake <laughs> because I got, I thought it would be a cool idea to get people from all over the world to get a good sample, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I, I what that meant in practice was that they scheduled their time like throughout the day from 2 a.m. to 10 p.m. Yeah. And so what that meant is that for, for three months after that, I was literally like up until at least 10, 10 p.m. like messaging these people and waking up at 2 a.m. to message this other person. And then I also had to be there when they responded to like, you know, give them the next message. So it got very awkward because when I was at like friends and families and dinners and events, I'd be like, I'm really sorry. I'm going to have my phone here on loud because I'm a bot and I need to respond to people when they message me. I'm not trying to be rude, I promise. Um, yeah, so it was, a, it was a very intense period of time uh, doing that. But it was super, super helpful because I could see that people were first just, I could see first of all that, Slack was so much better at getting people to engage uh, mm -hmm. versus mobile apps because I had spent a lot of time with mobile apps before and I know that notifications just don't work that well. But on Slack, they do. And people respond. And it's easy because it's just there all the time. They're on the computer. Um, and typing on a phone is also not that fun. Uh, and some of the stuff that we have them do, like we try to be more interactive than just question answer. But sure. there are some questions and answers, and some people write a lot. So it's a lot easier to actually do it on a computer. At the same time, they could also do it on their phone, because Slack already has right. an app. <laughs> so oh, yeah. it was a really, really good choice um, to start off with that. And originally, it was just going to be this 
Slack conversation bot thing. And then I realized over time, you know, it's very hard to find things in Slack and go back and forth in what you're doing. Um, and I wanted to add some more interactivity to what we were doing because I was kind of writing the course as we went along. I wrote about like half of it to start off with. And then I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to change it um, as people are going through it and then seeing how they how they like it. Because I did these like feedback sessions after they completed um, each module. So we had like seven modules that we wanted to do. And so I was like, OK, how can we emulate this experience of um, writing in a table or sorting cards or giving them like a nice overview of all of their responses um, so they can look back on it without having to scroll through the Slack messages. And that's where the idea for including Notion came in uh, because Notion is you know, quite a cool platform where you can basically make a website um, that's interactive, that's something that you can add on to, add comments, like use it as your own, and then users could have something to walk away with to look back on at all times. So at that point, um, once I saw that people were engaging, I was like, all right, let's uh, try to include Notion to add some more interactivity and this like memorabilia for them to look back on and add some additional insights as they were going through. Uh, so I was really running the whole spiel on <laughs> Slack, Notion, and I added in some type form as well for some yep, quizzes. Awesome. <laughs> So just like all of these like third party tools to simulate this experience that I had in mind that was very beautiful and amazing. Um, but yeah, you know, it worked. Uh, we started off with 15 people in mid-November. By January, we had 13 left. So even though it was, you know, all glued together awesome. with these third party yeah. tools, it seems to have worked. Yeah, you had stickiness. And you know what? No one cared, right? No one cared that it wasn't like Journey's app. No yeah. one cared that they were going between Slack and Notion. Like people do that all day, right? Like to your point of meet people where they are. People are on Slack. You know what they do on Slack? They get messages with links in them and they click those links and they go to places, right? Like, exactly. or you could have spent, like you said, you were thinking of, you could have spent probably months building an app and you know, luckily you could build the app, but or you could have spent months and the hundred thousand dollars building the app. It wouldn't have been better. It nope. would have distracted you from something else. You wouldn't have been able to do this other thing with your time. Um, yeah, I love your story because there's so many times when there's like there's like a cliff that you're like not like speeding towards, but there's a cliff like nearby, and you go like you go look at the cliff, and you're like, no, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna jump off that cliff, right? <laughs> not yet. I don't have my. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but no i love it like so you start with this huge demo and then you're like all right so just careers right we have to fix careers and it's like okay maybe not all careers right like let's let's zoom back in then you have the high school kids and it's and this is like a classic mistake that you caught yourself making but some people don't catch themselves making which is sometimes the person paying is not the person that you are talking to right and that's like a huge hurdle um, one of the things that Slack did to overcome that was it was you didn't have to go get buy-in from your boss. You could just create a Slack account with you and your three team members and, and check it out. Then once this had critical mass, now you're going to go talk to that stakeholder. But you didn't have to get your stakeholder to put the credit card on and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, you have, you have this huge target demo. You go to the high school 
it's not going to work. You go back. Now you're making it specific, but you're still feeling things out. So like you miss that cliff, right? Of like, oh, we're going to do everything everywhere. Because that's a cliff that people jump off all the time. Then you're like, all right, cool. I know what I want to do. I'm pretty dialed in. I'm going to build content and build an app and go launch. And you're like, no, wait, 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 wait. That's another cliff. Like, I don't want to jump off. We don't need to build this app. We can put this together. Other tools. Uh, I'm going to have to do like a, a bigger recap after this because I, I have this whole thing of notes of like all these little points where like you you could have made a mistake that lots of people make and you were like, ah, let's let's pull back and like reassess, re, re, re-align. Yeah. And I think for me, what's really important, like as a human being for me, it's really important to have other people around me that are kind of, working with me or I like see that something is working for them so that was another thing why I kept on going with this slack thing because I would have these feedback sessions with users like once a week or once every two weeks or so and that kept the momentum going because I was like okay cool so you're enjoying this it's helping you great all right let's keep on going right um and I think if I had thrown myself into technology without like any user input I would probably have lost the momentum because it would have taken me like three months or something to get something out there that's kind of okay. Um, and with this, just because I like threw myself into let's have users immediately, let's start doing stuff. It just kept the momentum going because the other, another thing I haven't mentioned is that I originally had a co-founder um, mm-hmm. and she left in and she was going to be the CEO uh, and I was going to be the CPO. Um, I didn't want to be a CEO. And, um, yeah, she left in January, but at that point, and we split amicably, so it was all good. Um, but at that point I was like, you know, I could stop now, uh, but I had all these users. (laughs) So I was like, well, let's just see it through, right? Let's see what happens. And at that point as well, like in January, we got two companies on board. You know, just mm-hmm. three people from two companies uh, and one actually committed to paying because everyone was telling me like, you need to get people to pay. You need to get people to pay. And I was like, all right, let's give it a go. And I was like, how about you pay this much? And it was such a tiny amount. It was like six pounds per person. So yeah, 18 right. pounds in total. So really nothing. But it was just that like feeling like get someone to pay something. Um, mm-hmm. and we got them to pay and I was like, oh my God, we got someone to pay and they're using it and, you know, they're going through it. Um, and that kind of emboldened me to try another experiment in February. Um, uh, and I was like, what would happen if I put a hundred bucks like behind a LinkedIn ad? Um, so I did a LinkedIn ad and ended up actually getting 45 people to sign up through that. I don't know if it was just the ad or me sharing the ad with my network, but we got quite a lot of signups from that. Um, select the 10 people to join out of that. And then the way we did it was like, hey, you get a module for free out of the seven. Mm-hmm. And then you can start paying on a monthly basis of 19 pounds a month. All right. So we raised the price significantly. And we actually had five people convert and they're still with us. A hundred of you broke even, even in the first month off of so, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I was like, you know, cool. <laughs> so each month I try to do something to like push us 
a little bit further, like a little bit further. So first we had the 15 individual users, then we got the companies, then we got the paying subscribers. And then I was like, you know what? Okay, now it's time to build the tech. <laughs> so since March, we have been building the tech, we have been building the bot, and we are actually ready to launch in two weeks from now on May 2nd. We are getting our like inaugural class or cohort of 100 people onto awesome. the actual bot. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've been <laughs> testing like crazy for the past couple of weeks. But when I look back on the experience of the 15 first people went through and I compare it to what it is now, I'm just shocked that they had <laughs> gone through that, like really not a great experience at all. Um, right. And now it's like very polished. There's buttons. Before there were no buttons. Um, and like there's selectors and, you know, there's, <laughs> it's good. It's, it's beautiful. People really like it. They're like, oh, it's so smooth. It's so blah, blah. I'm like, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> but, but if, even when it wasn't, that's how you knew you were on to something of value, exactly. right? Because yeah. if, if you're on a, a real pain point and you're solving it, even if you're solving it poorly or uglyly, ugly, yeah. sure, <laughs> that works. Um, even if you're, even if you suck at solving it, but if you're the only person who's really talking about that pain point, then people are going to come and they're going to work with you. Like, yeah, you don't need the perfect, pretty Solution. You don't, you don't. And like, I think that's, that's the key point here. Like, if someone is willing to engage with the shitty version of your solution, like, then that means that, okay, it is worth it to build yeah. out something. Uh, if they're not willing to do that, then maybe find a better way to, to figure it out. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, that was the reason why we decided to then build out the tech. Because we did that first pilot, we did the second pilot, mm -hmm. we did the third exactly. pilot, and we kept on having people, like some people dropped off and some people weren't engaging like all the time, but the majority was with us um, and kept on going and kept on, you know, giving us really positive feedback, actually kept, like started referring people to us. Um, so we're like, all right, we're definitely on to something. It's funny because your background as a technical person now you again the cliff analogy right like you could have gone off the cliff of like i'm just going to build it I, you lost momentum you wouldn't have been able to test all these things but what's really funny to me when i talk to a lot of non-technical people is they're actually the ones that get the most caught up on this it has to be an app it has to be perfect it has to and it's like no like you can accomplish things with slack notion Type, type form, Airtable, right? Like there's so many great things. And then guess what? Yeah, when you've proven and you've even built a little bit of an audience, you have some money coming in, even if it's $10 a month. Yeah. Now you say, okay, cool. Now if I build the tech, it'll just make this better. Exactly. And not make me have to spend all of my days like being a Slack bot. Um, so that was really <laughs> yeah. the, the most important part why we needed to build the tech because I was spending... Uh, a few hours a day just messaging people so what i ended up doing actually for um in february and march i actually hired someone on upwork to help me and take care of half of the people because i just couldn't cope with everything else that i was also doing yep. um at the time but yeah yeah there's multiple ways to scale right like scale isn't always a tech problem right sometimes scale is a, is a hands problem <laughs> you just need more hands for sure yeah and I think with, with Upwork, the nice thing is that, you know, you, we got a girl from Serbia 
We pay her, I think, $10 an hour, which is not a good salary in the U.S., but it's a great salary in Serbia yeah. uh, because they make like $3 an hour on average. So you feel pretty good about it. I feel good about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, and the, and the thing I always say too, like uh, I have friends who are probably going to be mad that I'm calling them out again because I call them out often. <laughs> but you can pay $200 an hour for a software engineer in Brooklyn which is great. You're, you're essentially paying someone's Brooklyn rent and for like $6 coffee is at a trendy yep. Brooklyn cafe. Or you could take that $200 and you could get five at least, maybe more engineers in a different, a non-American country who are, yep. first of all, probably better because they're not entitled Brooklyn engineers that <laughs> stayed up last night at a rave because it was Tuesday yep. night and they live in Brooklyn. Uh, they are just as good, they're probably harder working, they're less entitled, and again, that $200, my friends in Brooklyn, they're just gonna go take all that money, and again, they're gonna, they don't care. It's like, it's $200, it's like they want 250, they think they deserve 250. That engineer in Ukraine, or in Latin America, Southeast Asia, if you pay them $25 an hour, that is a life-changing amount of money for them, like life-changing. Yep. So that's something I always tell people too, is like, you know, do you want to be paying for someone else's coffee in Brooklyn or do you want to be paying so that someone can support their grandparents in Bangladesh? <laughs> like- yeah, definitely. Like I, so I started my career in the U.S. and had a U.S. salary. I was in New York. I was in Manhattan getting that, <laughs> you know, engineering salary for Brooklyn, Manhattan, yep. whatever. Um and then I actually spent some time working for a Slovenian company when I was doing my master's, more for fun than anything else, because it was mm-hmm. like a cool product. Um, but, but I had experience working with engineers in the US and I had experience working with engineers in Slovenia. And I'm like, you are like the Slovenian ones are like, you are very efficient and extremely professional and very good. And I maybe even better than the people I've worked with previously. Like I was very impressed with how, you know, how, yeah, the quality of the work essentially that was being produced um, at like the same or slightly higher level um, than it was at the company I worked at before. So yeah. yeah. There's, and they're far less divas. There are far Definitely. fewer divas <laughs> in international freelancing. Like I, we've, I mean, I've, before No Nerds, now we have our in-house team, but before No Nerds, I would put together teams on the spot. So it was like, all right, this is a mobile project. I'm going to go find two iOS engineers and we've got a Ruby backend, so I got to find that. And I would go, you know, kind of put together freelancers from TopTal and Upwork or, or just people I'd worked with before. And occasionally I would run out of options or I'd, I'd kind of exhaust my network internationally and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to look in the US or the client was adamant about being US. And every time the the difference between like the folks who are out of the US and then like the people who are in this, it's like they would they would disappear for days and then they would have some excuse. They'd like they they'd they'd always be blaming the problems on external systems, on whatever. And it was just like the other engineers, I had an engineer in Poland one time who like didn't receive the full spec, so they built three different things just in case. And it's like <laughs> What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, versus someone would have been like, uh, excuse me, you didn't specify everything, so I couldn't even start work. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I didn't tell you for three days because I've been at Burning Man, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel. 
<laughs> so now that you've got the tech in process, you're launching, you said May. Yeah, May 2nd. So May 2nd. A week and a few days from now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's super exciting. What's next? Uh, next is, well, next is really just monitor how, how people mm -hmm. are doing with the product. Uh, we've been QAing it, but we, it's a really hard thing to QA. I have to say chatbots, like so hard, especially ours, cause it's like a daily thing. So mm -hmm. it, it's really hard to QA. Uh, so that's going to be like on high alert. Like how are people doing? Are they using it? How are they using it? It's something wrong. Next steps is just raise money <laughs> cool. so we will be going into our pre-seed raise soon after that um because we'll have proven like a decent amount of traction mm -hmm. um we'll have some retention engagement numbers from the 100 people the tech will be um like pretty solidly in place uh and we'll be ready to kind of scale the team uh try to figure out like product market fit we're already kind of um making some partnerships with companies um that could co-develop with us because uh, like ultimately this is a b2b product um mm -hmm. where we're going for more of a bottoms up growth so like similar to slack um mm -hmm. you can get get it as an employee but then the employer should be the one paying for it so we need to figure out what it would look like on the other side of the table so that for an employer what kind of things um we can show them to prove the roi of what we're, what like people are going through essentially um, yeah, so those are the the next like immediate steps. Beautiful. Well, when you guys get done fundraising, we need to have you back on because yeah. people are always asking questions about that. I love though that it hasn't really been a thought until now that you've got, like you said, you've got some traction, you have a product. It's maybe not the full grandiose vision that you would like, but you are selling. Yeah. And now you can go and that story when you walk into that VC room is going to be so different than if you had tried to go a year ago. Now you're like, this is this. Here's, here are the users who are paying money. Here's the, the receipts that I receive when their <laughs> credit card payments go through. Yeah. Like, you can argue things with me about growth, but you cannot argue that this is a product that, that, is, that is needed, right? Yeah. It is a product that people are paying money for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, exactly that. And I think what uh, prevented me from trying to raise money earlier, and the, like I had had some initial conversations with VCs, and we have a deck, and we've kind of like sent out a deck before, but we weren't seriously raising. Uh, mm -hmm. It was more just for informational, um, like here's what we're doing, let's have a chat. And really, it was to kind of collect collect information and get some warm intros so that once we are at the stage when we do want to fundraise we can be like all right here are the 20 people we already talked to let's try to get them again in one week and get this over with quickly but yeah a lot of people uh accelerators friends other founders kind of warned me against don't try to raise too soon um, mm -hmm. because you'll just drag on the fundraising process and you won't yep. be able to focus on the product because this is going to take up all of your time. And so I was like trying to be very intentional to, this is not the time when we fundraise. When we fundraise, I need to be a hundred percent on that. 
Um, mm-hmm. So that also means that I need to have the tech built so that the product can keep on going <laughs> right. Uh, right. by the time we do the fundraise. Yeah. You had a conversation a couple weeks ago with a member at a VC firm uh, talking about early stage raising, especially for non-technical founders. And uh, it's interesting because we talk about in product all the time, take something, go talk to people. It doesn't have to be done. It just like start those conversations. Because if you are working alongside someone for a year and then you finally unlock the product, that person is definitely going to buy it because they've been watching your progress. You have been building it for them, essentially. What came up in the VC conversation, and it sounds like this is advice that's been given to you, too, is you should do that with VCs, too, in that it's never too early to say hello. It's too early to fundraise. It's definitely don't don't like call the VC and be like, let me pitch you on this cool idea I have. That's a terrible idea. Yeah. But if you are opening these conversations and you're spending a year and you're like, hey, just, you know, giving you guys a heads up, we just launched, like, check it out. Let me know what you think. And then now you come, you've got the receipts, you've got the user roles, you've got all this stuff and you go, hey, by the way, now we're raising. That is so much stronger than this, this myth of, oh, I'm going to prepare the perfect deck. I'm just going to show up unannounced at Sand Hill. I'm going to walk into this boardroom. I'm going to smack my deck on the table and they're going to give me millions of dollars. Like, no, it's, it's all relationships though. Like get out there, yeah. make the introductions and start building those, those friendships. Definitely. Well, yes, I agree with you, but I, I can't say that it has worked because I haven't gotten to that <laughs> point. But one thing that I have been doing though, is like with each conversation really, you're kind of want to end it like, hey, do you want to, you know, hear back from us? Like, do you want to be updated on what we're doing? And then I've just been sending these like monthly newsletters, updates on how we're doing. Like, what are the wins? What are the challenges? What they can help with? Um, and what are the plans for like next month? Um, so that's been pretty useful to keep people updated and see that you're, you know, on having momentum and that things are happening. Um, yeah, so th- those have been pretty useful to kind of keep people uh, engaged on a reg- like regular basis, but not annoying. <laughs> yeah, staying in contact is so important. It's just being front of mind, right? Whether that's with your users, potential customers, potential partners, or potential investors. Like, just remind them that you're alive, right? Exactly. Awesome, Leo. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. Again, I, I'm going to have to record like a recap thing afterwards with all <laughs> the, the things that I wanted to comment on during your story. Um, before we go, I always like to ask one more question. Is there anything that we didn't talk about? Any advice you have, especially for non-technical founders? And, you know, I know you're technical, but, but you've treated this like a non-technical founder, which is what's so fascinating about the story. Any advice, anything I didn't touch on that we should have? Um, that's an interesting question. I guess, like, I think, I think the most important thing we talked about, which is don't try to build the tech first, (laughs) like try to figure out any other way that you can provide the value you want to provide to users without building anything. But then I think the other thing that is really tricky for non-technical founders if they, especially if they don't have a technical co-founder, is how do they find that technical person? And in like, 
it worked out for me in a in a weird way. Like my technical co-founder, I didn't know him before, even though I had like a huge like network of engineers. Um, but I would say start talking to people who are technical early and asking for advice. Um, mm-hmm. And then that could lead to then someone wanting to be uh, your CTO, for example. And then another thing, okay, another thing that I just remembered. If I've been trying to do a lot of onboarding calls for people and companies and whatever um, to like check out Journey, be our users, etc. And what I found that works the best is not saying like, hey, I have this great product for you to check out. I think it'd be a great fit, blah, blah, blah. What works out really well is like, hey, I'm Leia. Um, I'm the founder of Journey. We're, you know, we're developing this product and I'm just trying to do like some user research and an interview. Do you have like time for a 15 minute call to just like, like tell me your thoughts on what we're building? And that works super well. Like trying to sell people doesn't work, but if you're asking people for advice, that works really well. And actually at this point, like going direct to people is a lot better and more powerful than trying to like, blast ads to nowhere because (laughs) like ads i tried i tried ads and i tried the linkedin ad which worked out really well but uh i tried like instagram ads they failed completely and it's because it's it takes time for the algorithms to learn what you're actually trying to do who's the target audience you have to be posting all the time like you don't have time to do that honestly like spending spending the time to find like a hundred people to reach out to on LinkedIn or email or something like that, and then email them personally or like set up a HubSpot or whatever, that will give you so much more uh, than trying to blast ads and spend money on that. And then going to them directly because as soon as they start talking to you, they're invested because they know you, they like you, you're, you know, like super enthusiastic about the thing. They're agreeing with the problem points and they become your advocates if you do that. And you want to, yep. like, with your early users, you want to make that connection. You want to have them be your supporters. So, like, when you launch on Product Hunt, you'll be like, hey, can you upvote this for us? And you have 100 right. people who will love you, you know, 100 upvotes, yay. Um, rather than, like, a bunch of people that you don't know. Um, so, yeah, that's, like, go direct to people. <laughs> Go direct to people and ask for advice <laughs> and ask for advice. It's uh, people are, want to be helpful. And yeah. if you ask someone for help, they want to help you. Now uh, there's a limit to that, right? Don't, don't yeah. <laughs> go, go just pull everyone's time. But like you said, you had this survey that was 30 minutes long and you were like, no one's going to, no one's going to do this, but you were touching on a problem and you were asking for help. And so people were like, yeah, I want to like, uh, and also, I think you're going to help me because I'm answering the survey. These are problems. And I, and people like to talk about their problems. People like, exactly. people like they do. They do. so like, Hey, people love talking about themselves. <laughs> that too. Right. So it's like, Hey, you are probably, I've noticed people like you are experiencing this problem. Are you experiencing it? You are. Tell me about it. Right. And then people are going to vent. They're going to, they're going to offer their advice. If you are helpful in return, they are now interested in, in purchasing things from you in the future, right? Because they're a fan of yeah. yours, they're an advocate. So always be helpful, ask for help. Those two things, that's people have this terrible opinion of sales because of car salesmen, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, 
type salespeople in movies where it's this and you all know, the terrible LinkedIn salespeople that message you <sighs> and just do a horrible <laughs> job at it. It's like, how are you so like terrible at your job? I don't understand. I also had a terrible opinion of sales, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's super normal, especially, you know, if you're not, if it's not your profession, I think you, you do have like a, you know, you don't, you don't trust it, right? There's something untrustworthy about it. Exactly. But at the end of the day, it's just like, hey, people have problems. You might be able to solve those problems. If you go to those people and talk about their problems, which they're happy to do, again, they're happy to vent, that's a sale. That's all sales is. It's like, hey, I think you have a problem. This might be a solution. What do you think? Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And awesome, like yeah. of all those calls that I've had with people who I reached out to that way, 95% of them then want to try out our product at the end of the call. So it's been very successful. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little of a Trojan horse, but as long as you're not, and you can always tell, because there are salespeople who do that too, but they're salespeople first, right? And so they wait until like the last five minutes and they're like, hey, by the way, Leah, this wasn't actually a podcast. This has been me trying to pitch you on my sale the whole time, right? And that's yeah. not the point, right? It's like, it's, hey, go get, and you're going to get value too, because you're going to have a conversation like this conversation, there's actually been two or three things for my own business, which has no relation to yours. But there's been two or three things you've been like, oh, the, the monthly newsletter we do to VCs. And it's like, oh, shit, we should do that. What do we need to do like just the previous clients to whoever like that's such a good idea. That this conversation has been so valuable and any conversation you're going to have with someone else is going to be valuable. If then at the end they go, hey, by the way, what do you guys do? Awesome. Great. If not, who cares? It's been yeah. a super valuable conversation. So. Cool. <laughs> awesome, Leah. Well, on that front, thank you again for coming. This has been super cool. As I said before, I was waiting to get this conversation <laughs> and I, it, it was exactly what I wanted. Like there's so many cool little points in here. I think anybody who's interested in doing this, who's on that non-technical, especially if they're not technical, there's so many like, uh, it's like a classic uh, fairy tale, right? Like there's the warning <laughs> and the moral message in there, right? Like there's a good story, but there's also like the hidden moral tale in there. So I loved it. Thank you so much for coming on. And again, we're going to get you back on in a few months when you're done with your fundraising round so you can give advice there yes. too. <laughs> Thanks so, so much for having me, James. Yeah, this was great. Of course. And for everyone listening, go check it out. It's May 2nd launch. What's your guys' website again? Uh, it's jrny.space. <laughs> dot space. Yes, journey space. jrny.space. Uh, again, I reached out to Leah because I found them on probably on AngelList originally. Uh, and loved like the materials you guys had out, loved the way you talked about it. And so go check it out. It's super cool. Career stuff is something everyone needs help with. Uh, and Leia is a great non-technical, technical acting, non-technical founder to learn from. So thanks again, Leia, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, James. This was great. <laughs>